Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Maddie Myers. Maddie, welcome. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. How are you? I'm awesome. <laughs> Who are you, Maddie? Who am I? Uh, well, I am also on a podcast called Isometric, and that podcast is specifically about video games, not not all of geekdom, just video games. And uh, the reason why I got to be on that podcast is because I'm a video game journalist. And right now I pretty much just write for Pace Magazine, but sometimes I freelance elsewhere. And uh, yeah, that, that doesn't pay all my bills. So on the sly, I do a bunch of boring marketing contracts and other far less romantic forms of writing not under my name. <laughs> so yeah, all of those jobs combined to form Maddie Myers. It's like Voltron. Mm -hmm. It's exactly like Voltron, except <laughs> only some of the jobs are fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I understand. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm starting out by complaining. I, how do you like that? <laughs> Bring it I love in. it. It's wonderful. <laughs> so Maddie, you are the third of four isometric panelists to come on less than or equal. I've had Bree on already and I've had Steve on already. So you are You've got to catch them all. You got to get I, Georgia. I am. On I'm going for the set. I actually, um, Georgia and I are trying to set up a time later this week or early next week so I can get you all before PAX so that when I come Ooh. up to you at PAX, because I'm flying to Boston. And, Whoa. Um, and I'm going to be like, hi, I'm Aline. And, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I recorded that show with you. And it won't be as weird. So I'm excited. It wouldn't be weird anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like people coming up to other people at PAX and introducing themselves as, hi, we only know each other from the Internet is highly normal. I think yeah. PAX has completely normalized that process and, and conventions in general have, I think. But it's yeah, always it's, awkward it's, in some way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kind of an awkward person. So anything I can get to kind of give myself a little bit of a boost, I think is a good thing. Yeah, totally. Um, I hear you. So, so since this is my first pack, so the reason I'm going to packs is um, Steve kind of poked me into going and um, also Ken Gagney, who's a Boston area guy. He has the Polygamer podcast and, he teaches and he's involved in women in games, um, that kind of thing. He kind of poked me into coming. So, so we'll see how it goes. But do you have any tips for a first time PAX goer? Because I'm a little bit nervous by the sheer oh, magnitude yeah. of it. Um, gosh, I'm so bad at PAX and I've been many times. Uh, I, I don't think it's possible to be good at it. It's, I would just say it's like, it's really crowded and I don't like crowds. So for me, that is always the worst part. Um, so just bring a lot of deodorant, I guess. <laughs> uh, shower, shower like while you're there. Just yeah. like use one of the emergency showers. Um, it's, it's like people tell a lot of jokes about how nerds don't shower, but I, I don't even know if that stereotype is really true. I don't think it's true. I think it's actually just that when you're in a crowded space, ventilation is poor and um yeah things get heated <laughs> so so i mean just just kind of be prepared for that and take some breaks i guess i i feel like the best part of pax tends to be the sort of off-site aspects of it like people will organize dinners and get-togethers and just 
times to leave the expo hall and actually network and connect and talk to each other. So try to figure out some of those while you're there, especially because you're not from Boston. So you might want to make sure to find time to meet the people here that you want to. So um, yeah, don't just assume that that will happen magically because you're going to be so overstimulated by the PAX floor. So if anybody, this is just advice for anybody going to PAX, like if you really want to be sure to see somebody there, just figure it out ahead of time because otherwise it's not going to happen. Not just going to bump into each other? No, I don't think so. I'm trying to figure out how to make sort of a post-isometric panel thing happen. Um, But our panel is really late at night on Friday, or at least that's currently what time it is. I don't know if they'll change that. But um, I was like, we can all just go to a bar afterward because I feel like that's the only way that real conversations can happen. Um, but I, I worry that even that everybody will be too tired, but uh, I will go by myself. So if anybody wants to do that, then, then I'll try to do that. But, um, yeah, conversations like at packs on the floor in the hallway, that stuff just never goes as well as going away from the con and trying to actually have a conversation does in my experience. Yeah. And I have been to, um, San Diego comic con. So I'm I'm not, in Phoenix Comic Con, I live in Phoenix, and Phoenix Comic Con is actually pretty big now. It wasn't a few years ago, but it escalated like quickly. Oh so yeah, I don't feel like I'm wholly unprepared for it, but yeah, I mean, I think the difference is that PAX is really not a cosplay con, and in my experience at Comic Cons, there's a lot of cosplaying and a lot of like celebrity appearances and more of like the glitz and glamour aspect of fandom as opposed to just the nitty gritty parts. And I think PAX, there's definitely a glamorous aspect to all those AAA presentations and setups and cardboard cutouts in the dealer's room. But it, it's not that's not what the con is about. It's like a lot of people just in their street clothes and not. <laughs> like there's not there's not a cosplay aspect of it in the same way it's it's more of like an everyman gamer or at least that's the culture they try to presume to have and i i mean i don't i don't know that that's effective i'm clearly not a fan of packs <laughs> yeah i've had you know because of like my passions in life and just the scope of my show i I really thought long and hard before I bought my PAX tickets. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a months long, like internal debate and discussion with, you know, people I'm close to because it's like, you know, Penny Arcade, they kind of have, yeah, kind of have a history and they're pretty gross. So (laughs) it's like, it sucks that they have really cornered the market on a very specific type of video game convention. And there is a market for that type of convention. And it, it's hard to imagine any other company being able to rival them. Like they really just have a monopoly right now on that. Like they have like four different PAXs or five worldwide, something like that. And they just keep making more. And like, that's become a really huge part of the Penny Arcade brand. And it's become harder and harder to avoid. Uh, So like from a, a career standpoint, even if you're in the industry, it's just, you can't not go. And if you're not working in the games industry and you just play games, then it's still pretty hard to avoid because even if you don't like Penny Arcade, it's like, well, this is the thing you're supposed to go to. And there are really competitors to it that are the same. And I think that's 
tough and I really don't like it. I don't like it when anybody has a monopoly on anything, but the fact that it's Penny Arcade is like extra gross. So that's just... I don't know. It's it's not something I'm happy about. And anytime I see another con trying to do the same thing, I'm like, I rush to support that con. <laughs> like, I am going to go to Gamer X this year, and oh that is going to be a really expensive trip for me. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to GDC. I'm going to go to Gamer X. That's going to be the big cross country trip that I save my money for because I am just so glad it exists. And they have had so much financial trouble because running a con is so expensive and so difficult to organize. It's got so many moving parts you have to ask a lot of people to donate their time for free which gosh that's hard and um yeah so props to them for even trying i've never been so i don't i don't know how it is but i just like anytime i even see somebody try to do something like this i'm like we gotta support them because this is really tough to do well and the whole the cool thing about gamer x is like its focus is on marginalized people like hey yeah. you belong here too <laughs> and um you know, Matt Kahn, I, they put a lot of thought into it. Like they have as far like gender neutral bathrooms mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the representation on their panels. And yeah, I'm, I really, it's in December. Um, I don't know if I can go because San Francisco is so expensive, but yeah. I really, really, really want to. Well, I really want to go. <laughs> I hope you can find a way. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe if you can go, we can share a hotel room or something. Have a okay. nice metric and and uh, less than or equal sleepover or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna figure out some ways to kick costs. I don't know what they'll be. Sleeping yeah. over at places. <laughs> yeah. That's one one way to do it. Well, and I do have. So I work remotely um, for a company. We have employees like all over the country, all over the U.S., Canada. We have some in Germany. Like we're all over the place. And I think I do actually have a couple of coworkers in the San Francisco area. Um, I just, I don't know how viable transport would be and like if they'd even like welcome me inviting myself over right before Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we can talk about that off the air sometime, but I have resolved to make it work. Yeah, that's my resolution for this year. My my gaming resolution <laughs> to those to people listening who I've talked about GamerX on here before, and I should probably reach out to Matt Kahn, who's kind of the founder, and see if he'd be willing to come on and talk about it. Because oh yeah, um, it and he has been on Polygamer. I should also plug that it was I think actually the first episode of Polygamer, so he talked about it some then. Um, but yeah, it's check it out because it's exactly the type of thing that the show is trying to do. So I, I feel like it's a good fit for, for those of you who are interested. Yeah. And I would love to see it become a cultural juggernaut to rival PAX because I would much rather see our country have four gamer X's or five or whatever it is than, than all of these PAXs. Yes. <laughs> because I don't really want to buy those Penny Arcade guys a new car. I just don't. And I hate having to feel like I'm somehow contributing to that. Yep. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, so, oh my gosh. <laughs> From conventions, let's talk about cosplaying. Yay, cosplaying. (laughs) So PAX isn't a cosplay con, but I'm probably going to cosplay anyway because I really like cosplay. (laughs) It's like my dark secret. I never really talk about it on Isometric, but... um, We'll talk about it here because I haven't had a guest who's talked about cosplay a lot either, so... Okay, Uh, so where do I start with this? Um, (laughs) Well, why do you cosplay? Uh, okay. So I, I definitely 
played video games growing up, obviously, but I also was very into theater and uh, role play, role playing stuff, and going to King Richard's Fair, which is like one of those uh, medieval fairs that's in the New England area, and like all of that. Can I interrupt you for like two seconds? Go for it, <laughs> because <laughs> I think there's a lot of overlap in these fandoms. Is where yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. with this. <laughs> so, I've never been to a Renaissance festival until um, my then boyfriend, now husband, and I got together. And it was one of our first dates. I didn't even know there was an Arizona Renaissance Festival because I did not grow up here. Oh, and, yeah. There's one and, everywhere you go. <laughs> I no idea. No idea. And so um, so the first, we got together in November and the Renaissance Festival's in February and March. And, like, the first time we go, I was like, I am at home. <laughs> oh, yeah. So That was the how Renaissance I felt about Festi- it, too. Yeah, the Renaissance Festival is bigger than Christmas in my house, at least for me, not so much my husband, but it is my favorite time of year. And so I actually found out that the Arizona Renaissance Festival opens this weekend, and I am so excited. So I just wanted to interject. No, like, but it's fine. <laughs> find me at the Renaissance Festival. Anyway. <laughs> wearing, wearing, you're probably going to be wearing some beautiful corsetry, right? I don't. Right? Oh, no, I don't? do not dress. I don't. But I have long hair. It's like almost elbow length. Okay. Wow. That's um, a commitment. <laughs> and it's thick. So um, I can't braid it myself. Like I've tried and I can't braid it myself. So the first thing we do is Aline makes a beeline for the people who make fancy French braids. And I do Mm -hmm. do that every year, but I don't actually dress up. I always say I'm going to, but then I never actually do. I do every time I go to one of those. But um, so personally, I tend more towards the sci-fi end of fandom than the fantasy end of fandom. Um, That's just my preference. It doesn't mean I don't still go to a medieval fair and dress (laughs) and stuff. I do still like that. But um, I tend to like sci-fi more. But when I was younger, I didn't really know that there were conventions for that type of thing. Because when I say younger, I mean like middle school, high school. Uh, So my parents took us all to a Renaissance fair. And I loved it because if you've ever been to a fair, then you know that there are employees who are paid very, very little, shamefully little, (laughs) Mm. to act in the fair as certain characters. And basically, these are just out-of-work actors who probably have day jobs the rest of the time, but they they just get a quick paycheck for doing these really fun improvised skits. And my favorite part was just walking around and watching these actors interact with one another. Like, I remember I was not even dressed up, but as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, I wish I was dressed up. And I was like 12, and I didn't even really understand, like, what the meaning of it was. But I was like... Everybody else is dressed up. I want to be dressed up. That was always what my thinking was anytime I went anywhere where people were dressed up. Uh, so there was that. And then also I remember seeing these two guys um, improvising a fight with one another. And they were two actors and both extremely good, funny actors. And I just watched and watched and watched. And they just kept coming up with jokes, all totally in character, bringing the crowd into it. And I was completely entranced by these two guys. And um, I just thought, like, I want to do this. This is what I want my entire life to be. I want to, like, work at a fair. And I but then I eventually realized, like, oh, there are other types of places that I can work and act and do something like this that isn't necessarily a medieval fair. I never ended up at a Renaissance fair, but um, I did get really into cosplay as soon as I found out that that was a thing. So um, in high school, my friends and I weren't necessarily allowed to go to conventions by ourselves, but we still made costumes and had our own little miniature conventions at people's houses and things like that. 
And then as soon as I moved out and went to college, I started going to conventions, um, like immediately. (laughs) And uh, so there's Anime Boston and there's PAX. Very shortly after that, I think the first one in Boston was like 2010 or 2011. So I was uh, a little bit older by then. But um, so I was going to this other convention in New Hampshire that is literally called another anime convention, which was the worst name that anybody ever came up with, but they, whatever, they made their choices. Um, And so I went to that and like, you know, Comic-Con, Boston Comic-Con and so on and so forth. Anything that I could, where I could dress up. And I got way into the theatrical side of it because a lot of these conventions have sort of talent shows where you can do a skit in character as the character that you've made this costume for. And I'd always done the school plays growing up and um, just loved theater and being funny and all that sort of thing. I like making people laugh if I, if it's possible. So I was like, that's amazing. I got to do this. And I, and my friends would be writing these comedy skits and performing them for everybody and winning awards that are functionally meaningless in the real world. But like awards in the scope of the cosplay scene are very important. Craftsmanship awards, acting awards, and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, I've pretty much continued to do that long past it being socially acceptable. Like I'm turning 29 later this year and that is probably too old to still be dressing up and going to cons, but I don't really care. (laughs) I still love making things and I love acting. So yeah. No. Yeah. And you're, you're not too. So there's a lady at, um, I've been to San Diego comic-con twice and there is a lady who I guess every year has like these very ornate, like, costumes like based out of like feudal Japan like just beautiful yeah I mean they're amazing and she's got to be in her 40s or 50s oh yeah I mean she wins like every year (laughs) totally from all accounts so yeah keep going I want to be that lady no, I, I mean, I, these are skills that have not really helped me in any way, but I now know a lot about sewing and different types of craft foam and fabric paint and how to style a wig because plastic hair behaves very differently from uh, he, normal hair. So uh, there's that whole side of things. And I've just picked up all of these really weird skills and yeah, most, mostly theater related. So I, you, we talked about this before the show, but like the only time that any of this stuff has actually come in handy is because Destructoid recently asked me to appear in a video series, uh, as Samus and like wear a costume that I had already made and like perform as Samus in this video. So like up until then I had done silly videos with my friends, but like nobody ever really saw them. And mostly we would just perform at conventions, but like now I get to cosplay on Destructoid. <laughs> so Yay. that's cr- pretty, pretty weird. <laughs> well, yeah, and, but that's like all of those interests aligning for you. And absolutely. Like- it is not, it is not games journalism at all. It is purely just theater and like coming up with jokes. And um, yeah, so that's been really fun. And if people want to check that out, it's a web series that I'm making with Jonathan Holmes, who's the editor-in-chief at Destructoid, and he plays Sagat, who's a character from Street Fighter, and he cosplays Sagat, and I cosplay Samus, Aaron from Metroid, and we are playing those characters, and it's really silly, and it doesn't really have that much to do with video games, but mostly it's just us being silly. Yeah, I mean, it's based off of, yeah. Yeah. And 
you have two just two episodes so far or has a third one come out we do and we're gonna film we filmed a couple of sort of in between episodes we we started doing like episode one and then episode 1.5 is an unboxing video. And then we did episode two and we just filmed another unboxing video. So that'll be like 2.5, I guess. And then this Sunday we're filming um, two more real episodes. So the show's continuing for the moment, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the weirder things on Destructoid right now because it's not video game news, but I don't know. I'm really happy with it. So I hope people keep watching it so that we can justify continuing to have it there, like budget wise. Convince Destructoid it matters. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. If you, dear listeners, if you haven't watched yet, you know, they are fun. And, you know, just go watch the whole video and enjoy it and let Maddie keep doing what she likes yeah, to do. Yeah, they're so fun. And I mean, I will keep making silly costumes anyway. Like people have been pretty impressed to hear that I made that Samus costume and that I like painted it myself and everything. And I mean, to me, that stuff is fun. I love arts and crafts so much. I don't know if you are into that stuff, but I'm so into it. And if I could have a job that was just painting stuff on stuff and taking pieces of foam and constructing things, I would just do that all day. I would give up writing. <laughs> well, That's like you moved I to wish. Hollywood. Hey. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything could sway me away from games journalism, it might be that. I don't know. Interesting. So <laughs> how did you, so I imagine this was quite a process of discovery as you, you know, figure, figuring out what works and what doesn't work. But were there any resources you used or has it all been like trial and error as you've tried to get like the exact look you've wanted or, or exact uh, yeah. I don't know, I mean, shape or whatever? There have been different things. Like one of the first really hard costumes that I made was uh, the Princess Zelda Ocarina of Time gown. And that costume has armor on it. Like she's wearing this this gown, but she also is wearing armor over top over the top of it. And I was like, I don't know how to make armor. I had, By that time, I had sort of figured out how to sew. And I had figured out that you could go to the the fabric store and buy patterns that looked enough like the costume that you could adapt them. I, I had figured all of that out, um, which which many people do, by the way. You just like buy patterns and use the pattern and and sew whatever it is. And and there there are even patterns for things like Sailor Moon costumes. A lot of that stuff has has been sort of figured out by now. But uh, think once you get into things like armor or like building a pair of shoes or building a belt, that kind of stuff, the fabric store isn't going to be able to help you with that. That's that's more construction. And those are the things that I think are really hard about cosplay. And that that I think is what intimidates people um, because they're like, I don't know how to make a suit of armor. I don't know how to make a belt. Like what? That's <laughs> that's way too hard. That's like leather working and stuff. And but I guess just the thing to remember is that there are resources online for all of this and that somebody has done it before like a bajillion times and that usually that person is not any more experienced than you in making it. It's just that they had a lot of time on their hands. I mean, that's that's really the only requirement that you need is time, time on your hands. Yeah. And um, when I was making that as all the costume, I was still in college, so... I I was a full-time student and I did have a part-time job, but I didn't have really any friends. So I had a lot of time on my hands because I was a huge nerd. So um, when I wasn't at school or working, I was just chilling at home watching anime. And I just kind of replaced that time with chilling at home watching anime painting craft foam. And I found this really comprehensive guide online that I don't know if it still exists, but um, at that time it was about how to use craft foam 
craft foam is a really specific type of foam. There's a brand called Foamies, which is a really cute name because it's for children to use. All of these things are <laughs> children's art supplies. Um, and so I bought a package of Foamies and um, you can melt the foam using your stove and bend it. And once you heat it up and bend it and then let it cool off, it will stay bent. And uh, then you can paint it. And there are a variety of paints that can be absorbed by the foam because sometimes when you paint foam, the, the paint just disappears. It just goes into the holes of the foam and then it the foam does not change so color yeah. right 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 so um there are specific types of paint that you can get um that will that are thick enough to sort of rest on top of the foam and um so there this guide had all of these instructions about different types of paint that i could buy so i was like okay i'll just go to the craft store i'll pick out all these different kinds of paint and um they used glue and floor varnish and different kinds of things to buff the foam, basically. Basically, to, to take something like foam, which is porous, and transform it into something that looks like it isn't porous. Looks like metal, basically, but it is not metal. So um, you basically just do all these steps to fill in the holes of the foam, and then you paint it gold. Um, and yeah, so I did that, and I got puffy paints to paint on the little designs that are on her armor, and like it was like bright pink puffy paint or whatever, but then you just paint over it with gold again once it's done, and then it looks like you've got this metal detailing on there. And um, stuff like that, it's like you kind of do have to be a little bit good at, at being an artist, I guess, because you you are painting with this uh, this this foam stuff or puffy paint or whatever, but some of it you don't have to. Like Zelda's armor does have little little uh, swirly details, but it's not that bad. And um, if if you picked a character that just had plain armor, then you don't even really need to be an artist. You just need to be able to cut out the armor in the right shapes, heat it up, form it to be the right size. And then, I mean, you're good. And I, as for attaching it, I used stuff like um, those those little tacks you remember how you were in high school and there are those little gold tacks that have sort of two points sticking down and you can bend the points out. Do you oh, remember those? Yeah. Or um, like papers. Like if it wasn't fit in a binder or whatever. Yeah. Or... You, like if you have a three hole thing and you, yeah, I don't remember what, what they're called, called? <laughs> but I, you know what I'm talking about. So I so do. I use those. I would just p punch a hole in the armor and then put in one of those tacks because they're gold. So I could just attach those and then they just look like little gold rivets once they're attached. And since it's all foam, I didn't really need anything more durable than just a little tiny metal tack to, to tack them together. And then um, I could just slip it on over my head and it worked really well. And that armor still exists today. A lot of other costumes that I've made have fallen apart over the years, but that armor has really held up. So it's yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <Woo>. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what else, what other characters have you cosplayed as? like a billion <laughs> I, made a list. I made a list once of every single character i'd ever cosplayed and i started getting really depressed halfway through and i was like oh my Why? god i've spent so much money on all these oh, things and nice. i was just like thinking about all the money i've spent on these things it just it's like little tiny expenses that you don't mm -hmm. really think about and they just add up and over time i'm like oh my god i've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on craft supplies oh god but, but, okay but, but, but i mean what would would you have spent your money on otherwise I know. and would you have enjoyed it as much like no i mean i could have yeah. like put it into a 401k or something and like been responsible in my life no i, I, I wouldn't do that either i would just be 
Um, one that I did fairly recently that was really, really hard was, um, uh, do, did you see Wreck-It Ralph? Uh-huh. The, the Sergeant Calhoun character that Jane Lynch oh. plays. I mm-hmm. built that whole armor thing that she wears. <laughs> I can send you pictures if you want to illustrate yeah, this I'd podcast with that. Um, I built, I built that and, uh, that was probably the most armor that I ever built uh, for anything. I, I've done other characters where you have to build a little bit of armor, but, or just like a little bit of stuff out of craft foam. Like, um, I did Wonder Woman and that's, I did craft foam for that. I've really only ever done armor out of foam. I would really like to learn how to do armor out of plastic, but once you start getting into plastic molding, it gets a whole lot more expensive because you have to mm-hmm. buy a bunch of tools because when for, for plastic molding, I've, I've never done it before, but I do know that you have to sort of create a mold out of wax So like if I was going to make a helmet, I would create the entire helmet out of wax and then I would use that wax to create a mold out of rubber or whatever. And like you pour the rubber over the wax and then you create this mold and you wait for it to dry and then you take it off and then you use that rubber mold to pour in the plastic. Plastic, Right. And so on and so forth. And like, that's so many steps. And I'm very patient and I love crafts. But for me, I'm like, that's too much. <laughs> that's so much. And you have to buy all the wax, buy all the rubber yeah. and buy all the plastic. And then you have this mold and it's for something you're only going to wear once. So I'm like, this makes sense for people who are going to mass produce like Power Rangers helmets, which, you know, people make a living doing that kind of thing. But I I like making a costume that just fits me and I just make it and it's done. And so like the thought of making those molds has always really intimidated me. But um. It's still something I'd like to do. But in the in the meantime, I've pretty much just used foam because you can just buy however much foam you need to make the armor and just resize it and heat it up and mold it and whatever, paint it, do all the different things that I just described. And uh, it's it's not so bad, um, but you really only can make one costume that way. You can't it, it's you can't like replicate it. You would have to start all over. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I did Wonder Woman. Do you want me to just keep listening? <laughs> sure. Um. Let me let me think. Uh, you've done um, Jean Grey I have yeah that's right I've done Jean Grey that's like a bodysuit type costume Uh, a lot of bodysuits I did Hermione Granger from Harry Potter I did um, it's going back in time (laughs) I the first one I ever did when I was in college the first one that I ever went to a con in was uh, Songstress Yuna from Final Fantasy X-2 and that's like a pop star outfit. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, I guess, I think I did the Zelda costume right after that. While I was still in high school, I did Jill Valentine from Resident Evil. A lot of these are like very cool butt kick female characters. There's, yeah, so there's definitely a trend you, there. Right. I was going to say, how do you pick? Well, obviously you pick like strong, cool yeah, women, but... <laughs> you pick the character that you want to be, right? I mean, right. like when you are listening to or reading or whatever, watching something and you're like, oh, that character is so cool. Other people probably just watch it and they think that character is so cool and they leave it at that. I watch it and I think, how can I make that hat? How can I make those shoes? How, where can I buy that outfit? Like I'm watching Agent Carter and I'm already like, okay, where can I buy the skirt suit for that? I'm going to sew a blue skirt suit so that I can be Agent Carter. I'm going to be her. I'm trying to figure out how to do the pen curls so I could have the hair because, you know, they had this scene where where she has her hair, you know, up Mm -hmm. in the pen curls. Yeah. And I was like, 
I would really like to be able to do that, but I just don't know. You have, if you have a lot of hair, though, then you would have to cut it. I mean, she has sort yeah. of short hair. And that yeah, is a whole true. other thing. I'm always have to, having to, like, think about my haircuts in terms of cosplay. Like, right now I'm doing the series with Destructoid, so I'm like, okay, I got to keep my hair long so that I can keep cosplaying Samus for a while. But um, a friend of mine asked me to do a web series as a different character and if it happens i'm like okay so i have to plan out what my hair looks like <laughs> so that i can do these different costumes and if i want to be agent carter then i'm gonna have to like cut my hair and and like temporarily color it brown or buy a wig and like you have to sort of think about your life in this other way <laughs> where you're like okay so what do i want to do with my hair and these are like the silliest non-problems to have in life but i think about this a lot <laughs> but i, I think it's it's interesting because, you know, obviously I've seen a lot of cosplayers and, you know, there are, I guess, I guess there's a stratification of um, commitment level that people mm-hmm. have. Yeah. You know, you've got everyone who's like buying the off the shelf costume, which, and I'm not like saying that's bad. Yeah. Those actually didn't even used to exist. And like yeah. the fact that like when I started out, you couldn't just buy an off the shelf costume. Right. Like you could, if you lived in Japan, um, because, you know, cosplay has been popular there for so long that they've had off the shelf costumes there for a really long time. But um, in America, we didn't have them and you just couldn't do it. But now you can. <laughs> like, that's incredible. But that that's even an option. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got everyone doing that, like, like from off the shelf to like the people who you can tell they put their costume together, but, you know, they were. They aren't as experienced. So maybe it doesn't look so good. And yeah. Yeah, they didn't know how to do it, or they were like me, and they got halfway through it, and were like, whatever, I don't know anymore. And then you've got, like, <laughs> you, and you're, you're like, planning it out, learning, the, and, and figuring out your hair. <laughs> like, oh. It did not start that way, though. Like, if, <laughs> if I go back and look, like, I did a Jean Grey costume when I was in high school. I did different multiple Jean Grey costumes at that time, because I think Jean Grey is amazing. She's amazing, um, yeah. Yeah, she is amazing. And uh, so... I they weren't as good because I was in high school. And so like what I was doing back then was taking clothes that I already owned and like tearing them apart and sewing them by hand in my bedroom because my parents did not want me to be making cosplays. (laughs) So I would just be like, oh, my mom's not going to notice if I get rid of this shirt. It looks kind of like jeans. So I'll just cut it up and then re-sew it. And so I was doing things like that. And like, I think the costumes came out okay, but they definitely weren't the level that I got to when I was in college because like as soon as I could, I was like, I'm going to buy a sewing machine. I'm going to learn how to use the sewing machine, read the instructions cover to cover, because I didn't have any friends. So I was like, I just have to figure this out on my own. And I did. And like, I just taught myself how to do it. And there is a lot of stuff on the internet that that teaches you too. So that was helpful. And um, yeah. And then in college, like a lot of the friends that I made um, were from conventions and like the cosplay scene. And I'm still friends with all those people to this day. And so it, it ended up being a catalyst for me having a social life in a lot of ways because I, I was really nerdy. <laughs> so I really needed something like this, you know? Well, and I totally, I did not have friends through college either, like well, starting and throughout because all my classes were online. I mm-hmm. was... I was in a program and and so I just wasn't meeting people and Uh, yeah I mean like I my classes weren't online but I still didn't meet anyone because I was so (laughs) shy and like it's weird because people see me perform or like they hear me on a podcast and I'm so talkative but I'm like if you put me 
in a classroom with a bunch of strangers, I'm just silent. I just shut down. I'm just like, I can't talk to any of these people. I'm so intimidated. I'm so shy. I just become the shyest person in the universe in that situation. And yeah, but it, convention's completely different because I'd go and I'd be like, these are my people. I understand them. We all have the same interests. I feel safe here. Like that, that feeling is why I got so into cosplay, I think. But I mean, I, there was, there was the interest there already to start with. Like I explained, I already liked theater and all that stuff. But um, once I got to conventions, I was like, this is, this is it. (laughs) This is going to be the place where I belong. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They're my people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, being nerdy and geeky is becoming more and more mainstream, but there's still... Well, yes and no. I don't know yeah, if I... I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to be the guest who disagrees with you on that, no, actually. No. Because I people say that, like, they're like, okay, so I can buy Captain America off the rack and everybody goes to see the Captain America movie. Therefore, being a geek is okay. I don't think that's true. Captain America is cool. Normal people can watch Captain America. Normal people, ha, huh? go with it. <laughs> people who people who don't care about about making Captain America from scratch in their bedroom can go enjoy right. the Captain America movie. But the person who goes home and is like, you know what? I really want to figure out how to make that shield out of foam. And I want to not talk to anybody for the next month while I figure that out on the internet by myself in my kitchen. Like that person is still a geek, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. It, and they're it, still and considered know. weird. Like socially, the stuff that I do in my free <laughs> yeah. time is not considered normal. And that to me is like, okay, that means it, that I'm a geek, you know? Well, and, and maybe maybe my what's coloring my perception is that, like, I've just surrounded myself with people like this, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, so, so, so these are my friends, you know, like, Steve Lubitz is my friend. And, you know, my husband is one of the geekiest persons I've ever met. Pe- persons, pe- persons. Ever met. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I work at a software development company, like we are all nerds. And so maybe that's what's coloring my perception. But I also think that, you know, when I went to Comic-Con a few years ago, it was all about Twilight, you know, and, and I guess I don't like Twilight, but the people who did, I wanted to say those people and that sounded so judgmental and that's not what I intended. <laughs> Soccer moms who, yeah, who well, really need some romance in their lives. And teenagers <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's become more mainstream, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Maybe not more acceptable and maybe like maybe not on my level and your level. Maybe it's still kind of weird. I think there's still OK. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I think that superheroes have been marketed in a different way in our generation or our That's time period true. that we're in now. And um, now they're they're considered cool in a way that maybe they weren't before. But um, I think that what we forget is that Star Trek used to be one of the most popular shows in the country. Like mm-hmm. when it was on, it wasn't weird. It was like there were people who were way into Star Trek and those, and those people, people were considered right. very right. nerdy. But most people just liked it, you know, like people watched it on TV and they enjoyed it. And like Star Wars was very popular and these other shows and TV television shows and movies and so on. Those things were in the public consciousness. Like people knew who Superman was. Like it's not like it was a weird thing that only certain people knew about. Maybe only certain people knew that some obscure Superman fact. I'm not a Superman (laughs) fan. But, you know, but but those and those people were considered geeky. But then it's just in the public consciousness. I don't know if that's really changed that much. So 
I think geeks still exist. And I think that there are a lot of behaviors that people do that are still not socially acceptable that fall into the realm of geekiness. And um, yeah, even though people know what Dungeons and Dragons is now, I don't know that it's still like cool. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's not. It's it's not. <laughs> it should be. I have never played Dungeons and Dragons, but it should be cool. Um, I play World of Warcraft, so I feel like I have to defend Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think I think that people still get made fun of for for liking certain things. Like, I I, I think that might always happen too. like, I, I obviously I'm against it. But I, I just think that some of those things are never going to go away. Like there are always going to be people who just get really into something way more than everybody else. And people will think it's weird. And that's too bad. <laughs> but, it is. But that's yeah. when you find people who are like minded. And yeah, those are your people. And I think the Internet has facilitated that for sure. And that I is that is the big thing that has changed to me is that now we have a way for people to find each other. Whereas before it was like, okay, you just wait for the Star Trek convention to happen and you can't really talk to anybody the rest of the time. But now it's like, okay, there are forums where people can go and just be super into one thing. And there are like fan fiction communities and cosplay communities where people are telling each other how to use foam in cool ways and all of that stuff. There's a community for it online and you can talk to people 24 seven. And that's, that's definitely new. That didn't yeah, used to be that way. <laughs> amazing. It is amazing. And bad, all at the same time. <laughs> use the internet, yeah. the power of the internet for good and not for evil. Well, that's like a whole separate thing, but yeah. Yeah, it is. And well, and, you know, going back to, you know, those people who are, who are always going to be, there's always going to be a subset of people who are more into thing mm-hmm. than others. Um, you know, I think it's just human nature to, look at people and be like, well, you're, you're different from me. And so I'm going to make fun of you or alienate you or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I worry about that. Like I, as a, as a person who is pessimistic, although I try not to be, (laughs) try to be (laughs) optimistic. I, I try to, to sort of tamp down that pessimism and be like, no, Maddie, this is not an innate part of human nature. Eventually, people will look at someone who's different from them and be open minded. And that isn't something that's inherent to humans. But I I don't know whether or not that's really true. I I just I don't know. (laughs) I would really like it if it weren't true, though, because I mean, like even within the cosplay community, like I have done nothing but sing its praises. But I should probably walk it back a little at this point and just say, like, yeah, the cosplay community is really racist and really sizist and really ageist in some ways. And like, if you don't look exactly like the character who you're cosplaying, then people are judgmental towards you, sometimes in private, sometimes in internet comments on your photo set, whatever, or sometimes actually in person, they'll be like, really, why did you choose to costume as this character? And like, they'll be really mean towards you. And, and like, that's some of that, you know, we can write it off as like theater kid drama that definitely happens in other theater spaces. Like people get very uh, mean about who gets what role in the school play. And I think that a lot of that type of behavior translates into the cosplay world because there are a lot of similarities there. Um, But it's like the worst side of human nature, like to be like, okay, you're a black person, so you can't cosplay Sailor Moon. Or like, you know, you 
way more than Jill Valentine because like who doesn't so you shouldn't cosplay <laughs> Jill Valentine like a fictional virtual character who has a perfect body like yeah okay <laughs> like two uh-huh. percent of the woman population it's in that, America yeah. looks that way they're from a lot of them are supermodels that are a little too busy working to cosplay <laughs> so yeah. so maybe we should cut some slack to the the nerdy women who just want to do it you know and like I don't look like the characters that I cosplay I do it because it's fun but people are really judgmental like oh it's awful and I I can't not acknowledge that that happens because it does it's like a really dark side to an appearance focused part of the nerd community and um due to socialization or whatever other reasons I mean I, I think that a lot of women and queer people in nerdy communities gravitate towards cosplay because they see it as the part of the community that will accept them. Unlike competitive gaming, unlike other, oh. unlike STEM fields, unlike, unlike other fields that are very male dominated and very like particular type of man dominated, um, like a, like a competitive sort of machismo spirit that's definitely in competitive gaming, for example. And so I think, I think people might look at that and be like, I don't really fit there, but I look at the cosplay community and I see a lot of people who look like me. So maybe those people will be accepting of me. And so like, as a result of that, you have a lot of like women in the cosplay community and you have a lot of like trans kids or like kids who are discovering that about themselves in the cosplay community. And you have a lot of like queer people in the cosplay community and you also have people of color in the cosplay community who are doing it even though characters are predominantly white and like that's a tough road to walk as a cosplayer to be like okay i'm gonna cosplay this character even though i'm black and they're a white character because every friggin' character is white (laughs) but like but like that's the only way that i see myself fitting in is like i want to be part of this community and so like the cosplay community has really had to navigate that and like try to figure out how to not be really offensive and i don't know that they succeed (laughs) i mean like i i think in particular cosplay has had to have a lot of those conversations sooner than other parts of the geek community and in some ways is doing better because they've had to have those conversations like um i see a lot of cosplay cons adopting the gender neutral bathrooms far quicker than i see it happen in, in other parts of the gaming community just because they've had to like there are just so many gender gender, you know, non-binary, non-conforming, gender non-conforming. That's the word I'm looking for. (laughs) People who are in cosplay and like they, they don't want to have to worry about it. So like they want their own bathroom. So they advocate for it and they get it because there are enough of them that they can afford to do that. I mean, like that should be true in every community, but in cosplay, that conversation has already happened. Like Kineticon put in, um, it's a convention in Connecticut that put in gender neutral bathrooms, like almost every cosplay con that i go to has it at this point it's not even weird anymore like it would be at pax but like pax is really behind the curve on it and i i mean i think that's great but that doesn't mean that all the problems are solved at all they're not but i just think that like because of what the cosplay community looks like that's just or is made up of that those conversations have already been having to happen and that's good and bad well at least they're happening right yeah whereas you know in in the rest of the community, which is like a broad label, but whatever. Sure. Big pink. Yeah. Big <laughs> you know, it, in the rest of the community, we're, we're just now starting to be like, 
Oh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, would that make you more exactly comfortable like if you want, if you have these other things or these yeah. other accommodations? Yeah. yeah. And like, like sexual harassment things have happened in the cosplay community. And like, there's this whole cosplay is not consent movement that um, was started by, I think, a Comic-Con attendee. Uh, that I don't know or anything, but um, she just started that movement. And like now I went to Arisha recently, which is a sci-fi con here in Boston. And they, starting last year, started doing Cosplays Not Consent flyers everywhere. And they're really, really good flyers, like detailing what their harassment policy is and being like, if you see somebody breaking it, then let us know. And here's exactly who to talk to. And like, I don't see I don't see PAX doing that, <laughs> like not for a decade. That. Like it would be great if they just had flyers everywhere being like, hey, guess what? We know sexual harassment happens and it's not OK. And we're going to actually kick people out if they do it. And like making that clear is so incredible. And like Kineticon always had a one strike policy, which is great. And like a lot of cosplay communities have already had these types of conversations like about sexual harassment because like it happens and cosplayers will just speak up about it and be like, hey, this isn't cool. And like, I don't know, gaming communities haven't really picked up the slack on that, I don't think. It's one of the reasons why PAX is not exactly my favorite, because I feel like they they don't have the same kinds of protections that I see at other cons that I attend. And like, that's partly because PAX isn't a cosplay con, I think. It's just a gaming con and it's got a very strong focus on competitive gaming. So there also, frankly, aren't as many women there as I see at cosplay cons. And so, like, there, there are a lot of things about PAX that I look at and I'm like, this is very different from the other cons that I go to. And they kind of need to fix these things, you know? Yeah, and it's so... I've heard, I've heard a lot of criticism lately about codes of conduct mm-hmm. and how, you know, it's just, you're just saying things and it doesn't actually do anything and we have to change the culture. And sure. like, yeah, but yeah. this is how we start, right? Yeah. We start by saying, we're aware that this is an issue and it's not okay. Like cultural change isn't going to, ch- isn't going to occur if you're just like, oh yeah, well, I guess it's happening, but you know, it would just be lip service if we put a code of conduct in place. Yeah, but it's lip service that then you have to act on. I mean, like, I I agree to that. I agree with that on some level, because if you have a harassment policy and you don't actually do anything, then that's pretty useless. Then it is lip service. But ideally, it's like talking the talk and walking the walk. Like, you have those rules, you make them clear, ideally by posting them everywhere. Or like PAX used to do a thing where they had the harassment policy on the back of the badge, and then they got rid of it because they were like, I don't know, space considerations. We decided we'd rather put the map on the back of the badge. I was like, really? Okay, fine, guys. You really don't care. Um, But like, they used to do that. And I actually thought that was really cool. And then they got rid of it. And now who knows what Paxis harassment policy is? It's not available on the website. It's not like clearly stipulated when you're at the con. And so if something happened, like, yeah, you can go report it. But like, I mean, I know to do that, but other people wouldn't. They might just be like, oh, well, I don't really know what the policy is here. And I think that like the fact that Aresia has those flyers everywhere is part of what indicates to people, this is a safe place for you. You're welcome here. And sexual harassment isn't welcome. And if you're a predator, you're not welcome here. Everybody else is welcome here. You know, like it's like putting up those flyers or putting it on the back of the badge or just saying it is part of what makes people feel safe. And Like, I don't know. I think people think that it's negative to bring it up or something like, oh, we don't want to acknowledge that sexual harassment happens or something like that. But like, no, (laughs) actually, it makes me feel really good to see that stuff. 
anyway. Well, and it's interesting to me that the majority of the people I've seen criticizing things like this are frankly men. (laughs) I know, I knew you were going to say that. I was like, men? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, They're they're dudes. Yep. (laughs) And it's like, it, it is blatantly obvious to me that you have never felt unsafe at a conference. Convention. I think also, oh man, we are going down this road. I'm so worried already. <laughs> oh God. Okay. I'm ready for the angry letters. I, think I don't get also... a lot of listeners. So, so it's, <laughs> oh, you it's will going now. to be your um, fans who oh, are doing this, Maddie. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm just going to get this out. Okay. So I think also sometimes it's guys who are worried that they have actually harassed somebody in the past and they (laughs) are thinking back on conversations that they've had with maybe a lady cosplayer who they thought was attractive and they're thinking, oh, she could lie about me or she could inflate this and get me kicked out of the con just for looking at her. And and then and usually the, the types of guys who are afraid of this, I'm sort of like, okay, well, are you just staring at her butt for a full minute? Like, what is happening? Like, what are you thinking back on that's making you so worried about getting kicked out of the con for, quote unquote, no reason? Like, what exactly are you being so defensive about? Because I see a lot of guys being like, oh my God, I'm going to get kicked out for like, just doing nothing. And it's like, well, no, No. you won't actually. Like reporting something at a con is still really hard to do and nobody wants to do it. And there's a huge social stigma against doing it. And like, it's so rare that, that I ever even hear of people actually having the backbone to be like, I'm going to report this. This sexual harassment is so bad that I'm actually going to report it. And like, like, so there's already that pushing up against any victim reporting. And so to worry that, that there will be false accusations is ridiculous because there usually is this whole thing that has to be gone through like Arija, you have to file a report and you have to like actually describe in detail every single thing that happened and if you have witnesses you can bring i mean it's like it's like the legal system it's like a very serious reporting system um and like other cons i assume are very similar i'm just happen to know the Arija one because i have a friend who's reported there before so i i mean it's not like I could just go up to somebody at the con and be like, hey, kick this guy out. And they'll be like, "Okay." like it's never going to be that, first of all. And also, if you are somebody who hears about these policies and your first response is to be like, I'm going to kick out for no get kicked out for absolutely no reason just for looking at a girl, then I think you really need to, to sit back and think about what you've done in the past, because. I have bad feeling that there is something that you are pushing down in your mind that you are thinking back on and being like, maybe I made a mistake there. And if that is even the shadow of a thought in your mind, then just don't do it again. Whatever it was, whatever that thing was that you did that you're like, I could have been kicked out for that. Now, you know, man, like you don't have to be scared. (laughs) Now, you know that you shouldn't have done whatever it was. I have a feeling you already know whatever it was because you're you're defensively thinking about it now. So just stop it. Whatever it was. Yep. <laughs> don't yep. do it yeah i mean and and cosplayers are there they want to be looked at like if they did not want to be looked at they would not be cosplaying 
looking at a cosplayer is not harassing a cosplayer unless you're doing unless something she's like hey really can you right. like stop standing so close to me and then you continue standing there or if you're just staring at her and she keeps walking away and then you follow her and you keep following That's, her yeah. like there yeah. are a few examples where yeah. you can really take that to a level of stalking and harassment and like i think i think pretty much deep down we all know what that is like we actually all do know what that line is and people who are the type of person who is predatory, who tries to push that against that line again and again, like those are the people who who should be kicked out, like people who are intentionally pushing the line and know that they're doing it, you know? And like, yeah. we, we know what that is. <laughs> and that has to be, you can't, you can't go to a con if you're going to do that, but everybody else, like whatever. It, it, I think most people can tell the difference between an honest mistake and a guy who is following them around or a girl, whatever that's not cool <laughs> yeah and and the big thing is like the thing i see most often often because so we're talking about a lot of the people i know who like to go to conventions don't always have a lot of social awareness yeah and so like if you're staring at somebody and they say will you please stop looking at me the proper response is oh yeah i'm so sorry avert your eyes it's not like you don't double down and get mad about it and and you won't get reported. You know, it, it's where you, like you said, where you cross that line and like you follow them or you continue to stare or you get closer or you get angry and start yelling. You know, obviously, these yeah. are the things that, that these these codes of conduct and these anti-harassment policies are in place to you know, help with. It's yeah. not just... And like usually, yeah, I mean, usually when people have reported that I've known, it's been a situation where somebody did something to them and they were told to stop and then the person kept going, like whether it's standing too close or touching them or following them, they usually are like, I told them to stop and they didn't stop and now they're still doing it. So please talk to them. Like that is the point at which reporting happens usually, because at that point, somebody's like, I have enough evidence. I have enough uh, proof here. I can prove that I told them to stop and they didn't. So like, you're not going to get reported for one-off mistakes. You're, you're just not. I mean, unless the one-off mistake is like you commit a crime. <laughs> like yes. you, if, if you've got this one-off where you kill a guy, then you might get reported, even if it was just a one-time thing. Um, but like if the law is not being broken, then I think, I think you're good. And like also at cons, people are so forgiving of this kind of thing. Like I have social anxiety. I have like pretty it's pretty significant like the reason why I did so poorly in school with socializing is because I'm so anxious and I just freeze up and I panic and stuff and so like sometimes I can be really awkward when I'm talking to somebody that I don't know for the first time and like I get it like I didn't have a boyfriend growing up like I'm so right there with some of these people on some Me of these too. things where I'm like I didn't know how to talk to anybody I couldn't get a date I was so lonely I didn't know what I was doing and like I had therapy honestly is the answer yeah, to this like i yeah. like it's it doesn't work for everybody but like i had specific group therapy for social anxiety that helped me 
a ton. <laughs> and like, I like practiced social interactions. And like, there are similar therapies for people who are on the autism spectrum for practicing social interactions. And like, it's not that different from the type of stuff that I did, which is like, okay, so we're going to drill what will happen. And like, what what is a party like? What What's it going to be like to go to a party? So like, I have a lot of sympathy for these people, like so much sympathy. I'm not on the autism spectrum specifically, but like, I have a different disorder that a lot of people who identify as geeky tend to have, which is social anxiety. And so overcoming that um, was a really big part of why I was able to enjoy cons and yes, eventually date people. Um, but like, that was a big journey for me. And like, I just don't think that those types of mistakes that you make socially, like those, that's not the same as sexual harassment. Like, I, right. I think that conflating those two things is something that people do when they're trying, when they're actually worried about like, that they maybe have sexually harassed somebody. Like, I don't think that being on the spectrum turns you into a sexual harasser. Like Absolutely it just doesn't. Yeah. And like having social anxiety doesn't like you still know the difference. Like it's, it's kind of ableist to say otherwise, like to assume that people on this autism spectrum can't tell when they're sexually harassing someone. Like, no, they know. Like, Absolutely. Let's, yeah. and like when you tell somebody to stop doing something, it doesn't like they will, they should stop. Like that's, that's just how that is. And like, it doesn't matter what they have, like if, if they can speak English or whatever, and they understand that you told them to stop, they, they'll stop. And like, that's, that's just what you do. And if you continue, then you're a sexual predator in my eyes. <laughs> this is a very serious episode. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. I know. But I, I just don't, I don't like the lie that people tell where they're like, well, maybe this guy was just really awkward or like had some disability that prevented him from understanding that the girl told him to stop. And it's like, no, there isn't a disability no. yep. for that. And that's really wrong for you to even pretend that there is. There is no disability where if you're told to stop and you don't stop, then you keep going. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, can we stop yeah, telling that's that just lie? Yeah. It, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Agreed. Cool. So, so one more thing. <laughs> okay. Because. <laughs> we can keep going. We've been, we've been talking for like an hour, but we can make this episode yeah, we, as long as you want. Whatever. Just, just really quick, because I wanted to, I actually wanted to thank you. So. I'm listening to the isometric that was posted on Monday. Um, I don't even know what that day that was. Uh, the 2nd of February, 2015. And um, <laughs> you were talking about Grim Fandango. And so I was I was in with the Grim Fandango because I didn't really have access to games when I was growing up. I had a Sega Genesis, but we were like poor and I didn't have friends. So like, mm -hmm. I didn't really have games growing up. Yeah, I didn't have that many either. I, yeah, I'm very so, envious of people who grow up with every system and every game. I, I definitely wasn't in that boat. It wasn't that I was poor. My parents were just really strict. So I didn't yeah. get a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it was. And, you know, even now my husband will be like, did you ever play, you know, blah, blah, blah on the SNES? And I'm like, no. no. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't play it. Well, how was I supposed to play it? I didn't. How yeah, like anything. Yeah, yep, yep. But <laughs> I hear ya. <laughs> so when Grim Fandango came out, it's been a game I've been hearing about forever. Um, so when the remastered version came out last week, I was all excited and I downloaded it, and I was, um, I was sick, and um, and I started playing it, and I was like, I do not know what I'm supposed to do. Like I have <laughs> no clue yep. what I'm supposed to do. And I managed to get to a point, and so slight spoilers here, like I managed to figure it out enough to get to the garage mm -hmm. 
mm. you know, and talk to um, the There's the two elevators and only one of the elevators yes. goes to the garage. Why is that like that? You can go outside and look at the garage door, but you can't get in until after you solve the puzzle that opens the garage door. And then after that, you can always use the door. It's horrible. Why yeah. were games like this? Why were they like this? I don't Why? even know. So, like, I managed to get to the point where I'm talking to the elemental in the garage. I can't remember his name. Starts with a G. Gladys. um, Gladys, yes, thank you. And I was like, I'm going to throw my computer. Like, (laughs) I have this, I have this thing. I know I'm supposed to get it signed. I know who I'm supposed to to get, go to to get it signed. I have no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so. Did you uh, figure it out on your own? Absolutely not. Good, because there's no way you could have. There's no way you could have, because the answer is absurd. Yeah, (laughs) and like, once you get it, it's like, oh yeah, that that makes sense, but... Does it? Does it, Aline? Does it make sense? Kind of. I mean, it doesn't not make sense. It's not like starting a car with a banana or something, you know? I know, but still, there are other things in this game that are, like, the equivalent of starting a car with a banana. I mean, like, I guess that puzzle makes sense, but, like, the fact that you have to jump through that many hoops just to get out of the office the first time, it bugs me because I feel like the game doesn't really start. I don't even know if you've gotten this far, but, like, eventually the main character does get a client. Like, eventually. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's when the game actually starts because then the rest of the game is about him being like, how can I get this client what she needs? And like, that's the actual narrative arc of the game. Um, And you probably haven't even gotten that far yet because it takes so long to get to that point. Like you have to do so many puzzles just sort of in and around the office that you work in before you get that important client. And like, that's, I don't know. I think that was a mistake. (laughs) And I look at a lot of old games and I'm like, I don't know about this pacing. Like, I just... The first time I played it, I got so turned off by how it looked and like how it played because it was actually used to be way harder to play. So I was like, not only do I not know how to do these puzzles, I don't even know how to click on stuff to make it work. I can't even even get the guy to move the way I want him to move. And that's still kind of a problem in the new version. Like sometimes he didn't go the direction I wanted. But that it's so much better now. (laughs) And like, I could at least be like, okay, I know how to solve this puzzle. I just have to do these things and it would actually work. Like I could actually click on the stuff properly and do it. But, um, yeah, I honestly like the puzzles make no friggin' sense. And I hate it when people are like, well, that's just the logic of point and clicks. And if you played a lot of point and clicks growing up, then you would start to understand what those classic puzzles are and you would just know them. And I'm like, no, that's BS. And nobody would ever play these and ever be like, yeah, this makes sense. Because actually what you do is you just walk into every single room and you look at every single thing and you think, okay, which of these things can I pick up? And you walk all the way around the building and you just click on everything you can. Like, that's not a strategy but that's how you do it yeah and it's not fun for me either you know it's not it's not like, I don't even know like, if it would have been fun for kid me who had infinite time on her hands right I think I just would have been frustrated yeah so anyway the whole reason I wanted to thank you is because <laughs> you were like you're like isometric on isometric and you're like oh yeah use the walkthrough like just don't find a good walkthrough and use it and like enjoy the story and enjoy the dialogue and you know enjoy the art style and just like do it because yeah because that's the only way I'm going to be able to play and so it kind of felt a little validating to get you just to hear you say that 
Good, because that's my advice for everyone. I just like, I don't know. And I said on Isometric that the walkthrough that I found, the guy was like, don't use this walkthrough. It's going to ruin the game for you. Only use it if you get stuck. And I was like, dude, this walkthrough is not ruining the game for me because I get, quote unquote, get stuck on every single puzzle. So actually... I need this. <laughs> so en- enough of your judgmental, don't use this walkthrough, it's going to ruin the game. Because for me, walking around the building 50 times is ruining the game. So, yeah. yeah. I was, you know, when you destroy the server, or not destroy it, but you... Yeah, yeah. Put you finally get in. in there, and you're like, I can read Dom- Domino's thing, and, and you put... This is an Oh, display. yeah, yeah, that. playing okay. card in it, and it's like, I need something sturdier, because the playing card isn't going to hold the, the message tube in place. And so I was looking, walking around looking for like a piece of steel that I could, a little scrap in the garage that I could stick in there. Oh no, the answer is you go punch a hole in the car so it has sufficient airflow. And I'm just like, oh yeah, so walk through. I'm walking. Yeah, that makes no <laughs> sense, by the way. Like why no. would, I can't even, I don't even yeah. know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know either. So thanks. <laughs> no problem <laughs> yeah the first time i did that puzzle i forgot to unlock the door to that room oh no and then you can't get back in to put the card in at all you have to do all of it again i had to go back and get the balloons and fill them with foam again and do it again and then unlock the door and i was like Daddy. It was terrible. I was like, I can't no. believe I forgot to unlock this stupid door. Like, I talked to the guy. He told me to leave. I left. And then I was like, what? No. No, I can't get back in. It's terrible. <laughs> and, like, the fact that the game, it's even possible to do that is so annoying. But, like, oh. I... And, and where where <laughs> is that balloon animal artist pulling the balloons from? Oh, well, that Have, that's, like, I an existential like, question. Okay. <laughs> What is happening with that anime? It's just so weird. Anyway. Well, that's like old school animation stuff where he's like pulling them out of thin air and you're like, okay, I guess he's got like a magical bag of holding right behind his butt that he's pulling him out of. I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, I totally agree with Brianna about like playtesting really helping. Oh, yeah. With this kind of thing. And that's why most games aren't this difficult now. (laughs) <laughs> make a little bit more logical sense no they're really not it's yeah uh, games are easier now and some people will be like oh that's why they're bad because i liked spending 60 hours not figuring out what kind of balloon i needed and you know what <laughs> that's, that's silly and you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> those people are oh. just wrong and i i would tend to agree yeah. <laughs> I like being able to tell how I'm supposed to play a game while I'm playing it. And I don't like feeling stupid. That's me. That's how I am. I'm right there with you. So we are probably a little over an hour. Maddie, how can people find you online? Um, Well, they can follow me on Twitter at Samus Clone. And I guess they could listen to Isometric if they aren't already. (laughs) It's a good show. It, I'm pretty. We're pretty proud of it. <laughs> I think we have pretty good overlap. I think most people know Isometric, but yeah, if you're not listening, definitely do. And then your work at Pace Magazine for sure. Uh, you could go to pacemagazine.com/games, and that's the game section that I help to edit and write for. And uh, yeah, I guess there's Samus and Sagat at Destructoid also now. And um, 
but most of that stuff can be found from my Twitter page uh, or MaddieMyers.net. I try to put everything over there, too. I don't know. Internet. I just kind of put everything somewhere <laughs> and hope everybody finds it. I hope it. everyone can find it. Yeah. So, well, I've had such a good time talking to you. I'm so glad that you come on my little show. Thank you, Maddie. It was fun. Yay. Good. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I will definitely come say hi at PAX. Awesome. I look forward to it. I'll probably be wearing something ridiculous. So, yeah. And I would love it. It would be amazing. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye, Bye. listeners. <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.